All right. Well, we've got a lot of exciting things that are going on. Um, super excited about the season and the things that are going on now. So, um, as we kind of continue on to in our Advent season, um, we're going to invite our own Chance Hawks up to light our hope candle. Good morning, everybody. Um, I get to come up and talk to you guys about hope. I lived life for quite a while, not even knowing what that was. But uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was a man who continued to encourage others and to share his hope even in the face of his own execution. He was prepared to finish the race, not a race of survival like we've been stuck in lately, but of sharing his hope in the life to come. His letters to Timothy and Titus show us how he encouraged them to share their hope and to teach others. Titus 2.11-14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. <clears throat> so what is hope? Hope is a patient focus. It's keeping our eyes on our Savior regardless of circumstance. Hope is like joy, it's like peace, and it's like love. It's not merely based on circumstance. It comes from God. Hope can be a light in a very dark place. It will shine just enough to keep you moving forward. You can see it through some very sad, some painful and dark places. And it can encourage you to do some things that you didn't think you were even remotely possible in your own life. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm thinking about my stepdad. But it can also be a light, and it can change your life so much that you make a positive impact on others, and it can help you to lead them into changed lives, eternal lives. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this holiday season, go out and be hope dealers. Go share that hope with people that are in your life. Share it with people you don't know. And I was asked by Miss Lexi to uh, give a little announcement that Saturday at 10 a.m. for the young, young boys and girls, if you want to come, we're going to have a little Nerf war with Riley. So come and help us make a mess in the church and uh, bring, bring your own Nerf weapons. All right, be blessed. Thanks, Chance. We, uh, we've had many a Nerf war, and we're still picking up balls that just <laughs> find their way wherever. Um, so, Sean, do you have an address for where that's at in Aspen Grove? No? Okay. So, so Sean's groundbreaking tomorrow for his habitat house that's being built is tomorrow at 4 o'clock, and it's in Aspen Grove subdivision. And, and if, if any of you have been over to Carla's house, that's, that's kind of over in there where, where she lives. That's kind of, uh, you, you, you go on past 6th, yeah, it's that way, but yeah, right. 
on past 6th and, and, and up and over that way. Aspen Grove subdivision. Drive around there. You'll see a bunch of people hanging out and some equipment and stuff. But we want to come out and support Sean. That's a really big deal for him. You know, it's a, it's a house. It's his home. That's, that's, that's a really cool thing that, he's, that this is happening. And so we want to support him and, and love on him. So Advent, this is just being this time where we just reflect and we begin to think about the coming of Jesus, the, the, how he came and what that looks like and the circumstances. And I think, you know, we've all heard the stories, of, you know, a thousand times, and I certainly probably don't have anything new um, up here. What I have is a lot of stuff that's old. I'm, I'm kind of getting more and more of the opinion that we don't really need new things. What we really need is old things, right? You know what I mean? We need to reestablish some old things that, that, that God has given us in, in, in our lives, understanding that all of the things of God are just as applicable in our lives today as they've ever been. We, we certainly haven't entered into a, a new state of, of, of getting it and understanding and technology and all this stuff that, that's, that's left uh, God's word um, uh, inapplicable to our own lives today. It's, it's, it's just as much as it ever has been because the problem with all of our knowledge and our stuff and, and whatnot is our sin issue that has always plagued humanity, that has always brought us to, this, to these, these difficult spots. And so, so just, I would just encourage you to, you know, like just rehash this stuff out. Just really let soak in what God has done. And how he's done it, maybe in particular, as we kind of go continue on in this uh, series where we're talking about the humility of Christmas, because everything about God and how he's done this is, is couched in humility. Um, and let's just begin, too, by, by understanding this, that we, we, we're, we're talking about a historic event. And, and maybe there's somebody here who's, who, who, you know, maybe you haven't quite got to the place of, of getting some of this stuff, or you're new to church, or whatever that looks like, but, but we aren't talking about um, something that, that's nebulous, or something that we're, you know, did Jesus live? Did he not live? No, no, he did. He, he lived, he's his, a historic figure. Almost any uh, scholars who even doubt Christianity don't argue that point. The, the big arguments become in who was he, right? And, and why did he come, and, and these kinds of things. But the reality is, is that Jesus lived um, on this earth, um, walked this earth a couple of thousand years, and, and here's another big reality. It hasn't been the same since, right? He absolutely fundamentally changed everything about this world and, and, and the world that we live in. And so we want to look into this. And so today we're just going to talk about the humility of the place, like how he came and where he resided and, and how he approached all of these things because uh, he really didn't do it the way that, that I would have done it, right? I, I, I'm a big deal. I would have I came into it. Would, it would have been a big, pompous affair. It would have been amazing, right? But this is not God. So Isaiah 7.14 uh, that we're going to look into today, historically, not just historically, but prophetically, even prehistory, God is telling his people that this Messiah is going to come, Right? As a matter of fact, the very first uh, prophetic um, utterance of, of the Messiah was in Genesis 3, right after the fall of man. The idea that, that, that God said that, that he will, there will be enmity between her seed and his seed, and he will strike him on the heel, and he will crush his head. Um, it is called the Proto-Evangelicum. 
And it's this idea that, that this is the very first prophecy of the coming of Messiah. And it's interesting, too, that all the way back then, and remember that we're talking so many thousands of years ago, the, the prophecy was this, that it would come through the seed of a woman. Now, now it's the only place in Scripture where, it's, where the seed is attributed to the woman. In Scripture, the seed is always attributed to the man. But here, it is attributed to the woman that, that the Messiah, or the one that would come who would crush the head of the serpent, would come through a woman. And so here, even Isaiah, in chapter 7, verse 14, tells us, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, remember, this is roughly six, seven hundred years prior to the birth of Christ, this announcement, this idea that, that the virgin would conceive and bear a son, and that his name would be called Emmanuel, the idea of God with us, right? That God is coming, that God is coming to dwell with us. What a humble beginning, right? A humble beginning where? In a common girl's human womb. This is the beginning. This is how the, the creator of the universe entered into his creation. He subjected himself, actually, to his creation. He subjected himself to the reality of a need for care, for love, for nourishment. See, God never sidestepped his human, the, the, the humanity of doing this. He, he truly lived a human life, and he experienced that through this. So we see the fulfillment of this prophecy in Luke 1, uh, verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, Remember that. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There will be no end to his kingdom. See, his kingdom is something that has begun. The, the, the place that we sit in, that, that this, this kingdom, it's, it's, we are invited into a kingdom life. As Jesus was walking the earth, he was saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes I think we live our lives as Christians like thinking like um, that I'm just kind of serving out my sentence here until I get there, right? But that's not the reality of, of, of how our perspective is supposed to be. Our perspective should be one that I've already entered into kingdom life, that my life is now, and, and it extends out forever. And what I'm doing today, everything that I'm doing today, really is, needs to be brought into that spectrum, into that lens that everything that I do is for the glory of God and for His kingdom, for his purposes, for what he wants to do in this world. And we have the great privilege of joining God in what he wants to do in this world. And so we're invited into this, this kingdom life, this kingdom for which there will be no end, which is telling us that this is the kingdom from which we will find purpose in our lives, meaningful work, meaningful things. It doesn't mean that our life will be easy, but it does mean that we have this invitation into this kingdom that's going to extend forever. So we're told that Jesus is coming into this humble circumstances. He's going to be born just simply uh, the way that we all came into this world, 
that he's going to be born through a, uh, through a woman. He, his first residing place is just in this common girl's womb. And it says here in Micah 5.2 is another prophecy that it would be in Bethlehem where he was born. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, right? Like I said, we need old stuff, right? We, we need the ancient paths. Uh, Jeremiah 6 talks about that idea of, of like coming to the crossroads and looking and asking for the good way, right? Asking where the good way is, that way, the, the, the ancient paths, ask for those ways, it says. So anyway, um, interesting thing, Bethlehem itself was called kind of the runt of the litter, that's how the city was, was considered to be. It was, there was nothing really that big about it, but um, again, out of these small and humble places, God is changing the world. Um, we see the fulfillment of this in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So remember, they were living in uh, Nazareth, in the region of Galilee, but because of this census, they had to get up and, and move. And let's remember that, you see, God knew all of these things in advance. God isn't just being stuck in circumstances. As a matter of fact, He knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. And, and so God is telling them that, that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Why? Because he already knew that the census would be and that they would have to travel to Bethlehem for this baby to be born. Now, remember, too, that this is a fulfillment of prophecy that ultimately that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David, right? And so that's why they are going back to the hometown or from the city of, to the city of David because this is where Joseph's lineage goes back to. Matthew, as he does the genealogies, he takes Joseph's genealogy and he takes it back to, the, to David to represent, to show us that Jesus, because he was adopted by Joseph, he was legally brought into the house and the lineage of David. Now, if you look, Luke has another genealogy and he does Mary's genealogy, which goes all the way back to Adam. Why does it go back to Adam? I think that it goes back to Adam because of the proto-evangelic, oh my gosh, Angelicum or whatever that thing, Evangelium, thank you, that, that, that basically that this Messiah would come through the seed of a woman. So, um, so here we see him, and, and, and Jesus is born into this place where there's not even room for him. So as he enters the world that he created, he enters into a space that there's not even space for him, because we didn't allow space for him, Right? That, that, that he has to be outside and basically probably in, in something that was in addition to the house where some animals were kept, him and Mary are out there, and this is the place where she gives birth to the Savior, right? The one who would redeem everything about her 
even, right? And, and in such humble circumstances, you know, one thing about Bethlehem too, it is, uh, Bethlehem was, the, the word Bethlehem means the house of bread. And Jesus refers to himself as what? The bread from heaven, right? This picture, this place where he enters into, but he enters in again, not with pomp and circumstance, but with humility and into a humble place. And into a place, but not sidestepping anything about the humanity of any of this, he did it to relate to you and me. He, he did it so that we could relate, more importantly, to him. This is what he did. He, he came in, and I guess the big question then, too, is, is, is are we making room for him? See, he's here. His kingdom is here. His, his plans, his purposes, they're going forward. And they're always going to go forward, and nothing is going to thwart that. The big question is, is are we making room for him? Are we, are we a people who are opening our lives? Are we leaving margin for what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives? Are we taking the things that God has given us, the giftings, and are we laying them back for him to use as he sees fit? to do the things that we're called to do. Because again, remember, we're not just serving out a sentence here until we go there. We're actually doing what he's calling us to do because ultimately the way that this thing ends isn't us going there, it's actually him coming here and establishing the restoration of Eden. See, because what God is doing is he's a redeemer. He's redeeming all things back to their original intention. So Matthew 2, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for you shall come a, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There's that, that Micah 2 um, prophecy again, given back in this context where all of a sudden these wise men show up, right? And I hate to break it to you if you didn't already know, but <laughs> your nativity set, it's probably wrong. If you got the wise men there, they weren't there. They didn't get there the day that Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, in the Greek here, the Greek, uh, talk, when it talks about Jesus, it calls him a pideon, which is a toddler at this point in time. So Jesus was already kind of up, and Herod is going, now, whoa, wait a minute. These guys show up, and they show up from the east, and, and uh, they've come to, to worship this king. And he's like, look, you got to tell me about this. Now, Herod was a lunatic. And, and, and Herod was incredibly um, paranoid about this idea of, 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 his, of his throne and anything that would infringe. And Herod knew very well the prophecies of this king that would come, that would rule and reign and would have a kingdom that extends forever from the line of David. So he was really weirded out about anything, and especially of the line of David. And so at this point in time, he says, well, they've seen the star back here. So he issues this decree that all of the boys from two years old and under are to be killed. And Jesus is exiled out from his place, and he goes and lives with his parents in Egypt, right? And so, well, I mean, what a, you know, he can't even stay in the place 
where he's come. He's come to to save people, but already in Jesus' life, he's experiencing persecution and, and, and this opposition to what God wants to do. There's already this opposition. So they go and they live in Egypt. A little bit later, we read in Matthew, it says, but when King Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take this child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warmed in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So that's an interesting thing right there. Now, Matthew now begins to unpackage this other prophecy about this idea that Jesus would actually be a Nazarene, that he would come out of this land of Nazareth. And that's a really um, kind of a, a, an interesting thing, but God prophetically chose Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was, in, in that day, archaeologists say that probably Nazareth had between 120 and 150 people that lived in Nazareth. Um, it was just a tiny farming village. It was high on a hill. It was far from any main trade routes or anything like that. And it was really about the last place that anyone would look for the Messiah to come out of. But in Isaiah 11, we see this, another prophecy of the Messiah. And it said, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And it's this idea of this branch and there's, there's prophetic things that deal with the idea of this branch that would, would come up. Now, David, 1 Samuel 17, it tells us this, that David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse. So again, remember that David is coming from Jesse, out of the stump of Jesse. Basically, ultimately, this Messiah is coming. It says that his name was Jesse, he had eight sons, and in the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. Jeremiah deals with this idea. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Zechariah 6.12, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from, this, from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And so the interesting thing is that Nazareth... Um, very uh, basically has uh, a same root word, it's netzer, which is, and I probably didn't say that right, but anyway, my, my Hebrew is a little rusty, um, and my Latin, and my Greek. Um, I, I do speak pig Latin, though, I'm fluent in that. Um, this netzer, and, um, and the, the, it means branch, basically. And, and what it's saying is that as Nazareth means the city of the branch kind of a thing, or the city of David's branch. And so uh, they're predicting the, the concept that this place would even be there 600 years before it even exists. And the reason that it even existed was this. It was that basically um, that uh, in like 538, roughly, um, uh, the Cyrus, king of Persia, basically allowed the Jews who had been taken to Babylon and exiled there to begin to return to Judea. And that process went on for like four or 500 years. Um, around 100 BC, a group of these folks 
who were of the lineage of David and of the tribe of Judah, returned. And when they returned, they began the city of Nazareth. And they, they founded it, basically. The reason that they founded it there was because what you would have thought they would have done was went straight into uh, Judea, Jerusalem, and, and said, look, we, we're of the lineage of, of the king of David and helped to establish the throne of David, except there was a, what was called the Hasmonean dynasty, a non-Davidic line that had, had taken the throne uh, of the Jewish people, basically. And who came after that was Herod. And now Herod had no um, lineage. He, he was not a Jew. He was a non-Jew. And so he was so um, uh, worried about this, and he was so intimidated by this idea of this Davidic king that would come that he burned all of the public genealogies so that nobody could trace anything back. He thought that that would, would help his, his cause. And so basically, when these guys came back, the reason that they established themselves where they did was because they were in danger of this crazy guy, Herod, and they were just steering clear of him. But you see, God knew all of these things. God knew all of these things. He knew every event of history that was going to go on, and he began to foretell how it was going to shake out even prior to the birth of Messiah, the, the, uh, the establishment even of some of these places. But this place, Nazareth, is so humble that one of Jesus' potential disciples said this about it. They said, hey, he's from Nazareth, and, and he's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is there even anything decent there? I mean, it's like, I don't know. Midwest or something, you know, I don't know, you know. Um, I'm sorry if I just offended, I probably just offended somebody from Midwest. Um, can anything good come out of Nazareth, Phillips? And he said, look, come and see, right? So, so this is how humble these places are. This is, this is the God who, who just, out of what seems like should have just, out of obscurity, did this amazing thing. So after that, so Jesus is raised basically in Nazareth. After that, Matthew tells us, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. We find that in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Be there, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end." And so we see that, that the whole idea always would be that God wouldn't just be staying in Judea, not staying just in Israel, 
but of going out even to the Gentiles here, that he went out to Galilee of the Gentiles. Luke 1 says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so, I mean, what does that mean for us today? And I think what that means for us today is this, is that God knows your circumstances. He knows everything about you. He, he's always known everything about you. You know, you've existed in the mind of God for all eternity. Kind of a crazy thing. He knew exactly when you would enter into this world, in what circumstances you would enter into this world, exactly who you would be, and exactly all that he has for you, all of the good things. And, and, and he's, a, he's a God who, who just takes the, the, the base things of the world. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians um, 1.27 says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see, this is a God who takes simply what we give him, what we humbly have, the, the, the humble things that we have, and he multiplies that. Sometimes we think, oh gosh, you know, maybe the thing that I have, it's just small, it's not big, it's not really the big deal, because we all want to be a part of the big deal. But maybe the big deal isn't the big deal. Maybe the things that God is really calling us to, and, and maybe the things that are the most important are just the little things. Maybe it's just the way that we, we live our life day by day. Maybe it's just holding the door for somebody. Maybe it's, sometimes it's just, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder that, like, when is God most pleased? I don't know. Sometimes I want to think that it's like, man, when I've just done this, some kind of amazing thing, you know what I mean? Just, wow, you know, we just really did some amazing thing as a church or whatever. We just fed, all, we sent all these boxes out or whatever, you know? I think God is pleased with those things. There's no doubt. But you know, maybe, maybe sometimes we should rethink this. Sometimes, sometimes maybe God is the most pleased when we've got like almost nothing left, but we give it to him. That time where we're just like, I'm so broken, I'm so lost, I'm so, con I, don't, I don't know what to do right now, Lord. And, and God just looks down on us and he's like, wow, look at Try. He doesn't have anything right now. I mean, he's just spent. He's broken. He's done. But look, he didn't kick the dog. <sighs> maybe it's not always what we think it is. And maybe it's, it, it's this idea that, that God can take the little things, what, what we would just think is inconsequential, these, these things that, that we feel like, well, gosh, God hasn't really gifted me or he hasn't given me much. Maybe it's those very things that God is going to do the mightiest work that he's going to do. Maybe, maybe we just somehow introduce somebody who introduces somebody else to Jesus who does something. You know, one day I believe that we're going to see how all of these threads fit together. One day when this is all done, God is going to reveal to us again. Today, it's like we look at the back of the tapestry, right? It's just a mess. All these strings just going everywhere. But one day, God is going to turn that around. And he's going to show us this beautiful thing that we did. And he's going to show us more than that. He's going to show us how our string was interwoven with all the other strings that were there 
and how this beautiful masterpiece of a tapestry turned out. Amen. Thank you. And I, and I think that, just, again, sometimes we lose it because we, we think, well, that, that person over there has got five talents, and that one's got two, and I've only got this one little one. Well, God makes it pretty plain in that story, right? Don't bury that thing. Don't bury it. It has a use. It's useful. It has something that God wants to multiply out of that. So don't, so don't take that thing and just go bury it somewhere. Just give it back to God and let him do with it what he wants to do. Remember, we're talking about a God who took five loaves and two fish and fed probably in the neighborhood of 15,000 people with it, right? So I just want to encourage you that this God is, this God is a humble God. How crazy is it that the God of the universe, that the creator of the universe would subject himself to all of this? And would do it in such humble circumstances. And what a crazy thought it is that this thing that began in this obscure place beside the Sea of Galilee from humble circumstances would change the world the way that it has. By all human reason, it should just be a non-issue that was forgotten to history so long ago that it's just gone. But it's not. It's this thing who didn't just change the world back then but it's changing the world today. And today, when we look in the world around us and we start to say, man, this world needs something. This world is broken. This world has pain and struggle and suffering. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening out there that's not okay and it's not funny. But God is calling us to be the church. He's calling us to live in his spot here on earth, to walk as his hands and his feet, to deliver mercy and compassion, and hope, and kindness, and goodness, and salvation to the world around us. So take that one thing, whatever that little thing is that you think doesn't matter, and just give it to God, and then be amazed by what this God who takes little humble things and changes the world with will do with it. So Lord, we just thank you. We thank you this day we thank you of how you've done this thing. We thank you that you've done this thing so humbly, so amazingly. We thank you too, Lord, that you, you've shown us this thing uh, through prophecy, that you've, 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 you've worked this all out, and you've done it in a way that's just absolutely mind-blowing. So help us, Lord, that we would be a people who would believe and trust and know that you take the little things and that you make them greater, that you take the humble and you exalt it into something that, that, that we could never do. And so, Lord, we just want to offer you ourselves just recognizing, Lord, that there's none of us here that have really much to offer, but that you do, Lord, and that you through us, that all things are possible with a God who's like you, with a God who's the creator of all things. And Lord, help us that we might walk among our fellow humans humbly the way that you did, that we might just love well, that we might really be attractive to the world around us, not because we're good, but because you're good. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.